Howdy, everybody. Arthur Staple here. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic, showing some high compete level this week. Uh, flu-ridden Steve Valichetti missed the Ranger broadcast last night, but of course, he's here with us today. What's up, Steve? Uh, soft as baby poop, but uh, <laughs> l- learn, <laughs> trying to figure it out behind uh, three monitors all morning. So nice. yeah, l- let's get to work. Nice. So last week, we, were, we had the wake the F up, to quote, Jacob Truba, um, we had the Wake the F Up episode. This week, it's the F it, we just got to win however we're going to win. And we talked about it last week. There were some heated words said by Steve and by myself about where this team was and how close they were, I think, last Monday to having something drastic happen with they didn't rally to beat the Blues. And they needed to win all four of these games coming up that we said were huge ones, the ones in Vegas and and Denver and then home to the Devils and then they've got the Leafs on Thursday. Well, they're three quarters of the way there. And boy, if you wanted to try to sum up or identify one trend that the Rangers have turned around to get these wins in a row, good luck to you because there wasn't a whole lot of similarity between the three games other than the two points at the end of it. And that's where we are. It's the effort. We need two points because that's the position the Rangers have put themselves in. They've got four wins in a row. They're just barely above the playoff cut line now in the East. And and to me, I don't know if you agree with it, Steve, you throw the numbers and the stats and the data, which we love to, to dig into, out the window when it's desperation time. And maybe it's weird to say before Christmas it's desperation time, but that's where they put themselves and uh, and they're just starting to dig out of it now. I don't disagree. It's it's so bizarre. It's puzzling. Um, I feel like I have a jigsaw puzzle of notes all over my desk and on my dry erase board in my office this morning, really trying to figure the team out. The worst loss of the season was the Chicago game. And halfway through the St. Louis game, the Monday game, I'm thinking, just blow it up. Like, I don't know what I'm watching right now. And they're down 4-3 and they score three in the third, win 6-4. So it's almost like it, it, you hit the recovery channel and they're able to get through that one. And Vegas, it surprised me in the pregame leading up to the game and the day before the game, learning about Eichel being out and Petrangelo being out. And you're mm-hmm. looking at their lineup. Arthur, I didn't even recognize half the names on their on their lineup, as as did the same against Colorado, which was even worse. Oh, Colorado was even worse. Oh, yeah. Was Colorado was even worse. But I, I would say the Vegas game, one thing, one thing came through, and that's the strong third period. They completely locked down in the third period. It was 1-1 going into the third. They score four in the third period. But Vegas has four shots on goal and not a single scoring chance. Yeah. So to me, that's where I'm like, okay, all right, we got something here. This is a group that knows how to clamp down and lock it down when they need to. Uh, Colorado. And then they just put that one right in the bin. They just yeah, crumpled, crumpled I, up that that uh, play sheet. I don't know what, what that start was. It was like Colorado came out faster, hungrier. Uh, Jimmy Vesey's intermission was they're hungrier than us, and they got a bunch of young guys that are trying to earn it and prove it. And I'm thinking, well, why aren't our guys earning it and proving <laughs> it? It's like, what are we talking about here? So that one was puzzling, but Shesterkin stands on his head. And last night, the Devs come in with a 11-game road winning streak, and you're losing 3-1 earlier in the third, and it's the same thing. I'm like, what's going on here? Ends up 4-3. So if you think that you are – and I'm glad I'm not a gambling man, I have to say. <laughs> I would be losing money left, right, and center. So I don't even know what to make of the team right now. It's very helter-skelter, but uh, they, they've got some guts again. They've got some guts again, and I think that's the most important thing, and that's going to help this group a lot going forward. Yeah, and I, you know, you hate to keep harping back to last season, and I don't 
when when I'm in the room with, with them, you don't want to keep bringing it up because last year is last year and it's completely parked now after 30 games. It was parked, you'd ideally hope, after a few games this season. Um, but the comparisons, I think it was Keandre Miller who actually unprompted said, this is how it felt a little bit at times last season where maybe we're winning games that we shouldn't. Maybe we win games when we don't get the bounces, but Igor is good or this guy's good or some, you know something comes to the fore. Uh, to get to push you over the line, and for the Rangers, I think last night, part of it was Keandre Miller and the the kids, all five, you know, five kids on the ice at once for that second, the the tying goal seven seconds after Trocheck's power play goal, where great Miller, celebration, Mil- great celebration. Miller with a, with a great read on Dougie Hamilton. Hamilton just gave up on Miller after Miller, you know, controls the puck off the draw. He follows his follows the puck in deep. Heedle with a great little pass. Miller with a very good. Slot line pass, Kaka rams it home. Uh, Garden goes crazy. It, it, you know, Garden going crazy felt a lot like last year too because we haven't seen a lot of that because they've been so mediocre at home. Um, but identifying any sort of like specific trend, maybe you you said it in all these four wins, zero goals allowed in the third period by whatever method. It was Igor yeah. on Friday yep. in Denver. It was a team effort pushing and pushing in Vegas, and it was a really cautious third period last night. Um, they seemed like they understood that they were facing a team that's on an incredible role and playing at a, at a much faster pace and higher level that the Rangers have played a lot of this season. So it seemed like they were trying to just not make any huge mistakes. They still made a couple, and the Devils you know, had, had a couple of good chances in that third period, but not a ton. So maybe that's the thing where we're starting to see now, instead of being the team that blows a lead in the third period like they've done a few times this season already uh, in multi-goal leads uh, and losing a couple in regulation. The Islanders game stands out. The Oilers game stands out. Maybe now they're the team that realizes we get a lead, even if we're tied. Um, I think they've been tied the most of any team after two periods this year, 15 times. Only lost one of those in regulation. They're 9-1-5 and five, uh, when tied after two periods. And that, I think, shows – Shows some of those guts, some of that compete, some of that smarts that that if you're in a close game, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know who you're out against. The the Rangers did, were, did not do a great job of identifying that against Jack Hughes in a couple of spots last night. He had a goal. Um, Keandre Miller made a bad step up. Lafreniere didn't cover for him. Uses down the ice, scores on a two on one, and then later on another shift, bad change by the Trocheck line. Hughes is off on a breakaway. Schneider trips and penalty shot. Igor stops it. That was kind of another big turning point in the middle of that second period. But um, yeah, I mean, it, we kind of we try to identify some patterns, and the only pattern, like I said, is this team is incredibly weird and frustrating at times. But uh, but maybe they've started to figure out when it gets to crunch time, no matter what the score is, that they have to play not play to the score necessarily or play cautiously to get a point or two, but but to just just up the intelligence, the hockey IQ level of their game. Yeah, I think it's a lot of times when we see such a highly skilled team, our our bar raises for them to the level where we want it to be met every single night. And that goes for Shesterkin all the way through the lineup. And sometimes the will's not there and it becomes frustrating for us that are analyzing the team closely because they can get outwilled in a game. Let's be honest, they got outwilled in Colorado for the first two periods. Like Colorado was steamrolling, they were running fast. And, you know, look, I think that 
subjectively, you could say that the Rangers have lost seven games this year to non-playoff teams. I think when it's all said and done, San Jose, Columbus, Detroit, Nashville, Anaheim, Ottawa, Chicago, those are the teams that I have down on my paper here where I feel like the Rangers could have had regulation wins. And they didn't give those back last year. Do you remember last season, the narrative around the team was, oh, you guys haven't beat anybody. You've only beat the teams that are non-playoff teams. Well, this year, they've lost against all the (laughs) non-playoff teams. So that's why we are where we are with the club. And when you couple in the two-goal leads that you gave away in November, and that's Detroit, Islanders, Edmonton, the New Jersey game, you could subjectively, again, say, well, we should have had four wins, three wins, whatever, even two wins there. Can you imagine where the Rangers would be if they were just playing up to their potential? Right, Arthur? And you look at the division right now, is the Metro clear in a way not the strongest division in the league? Yes. Look how well Washington's playing right now. They're coming. So it's like, don't, you know, the Rangers are looking up, but don't look behind you because, (laughs) you know, Washington's coming. So the sense of urgency for me right now, it's, it's dire. It's don't take your foot off the gas. Like, oh, guys, we're okay. We can exhale. We're in right now. We're above the cut line. Not even close. You know what was interesting was uh, on your Twitter feed um, today, I don't know if you saw it, that I posted the last five games the Rangers have played and their expected goals for and against. Um, when you get a minute, Arthur, uh, check it out on, on uh, you know Twitter. I, Valley's, Valley's View is my Twitter handle. I'm sure everybody that's listening l- listens to uh, or follows good, us both. Good, good little plug, Steve. I like good that. Good little plug, right? And, uh, but no, I, this is what I thought was interesting. Um, In the last five games, the Rangers have had 127 scoring chances. Their opponents have had 126. 35 have been high danger for the Rangers, and 34 have been high danger for their opponents. Every single number on this page, you're going to laugh. Like it's, it's. I'm looking at it. It's hilarious. It's almost hilarious. It's identical. It's identical. The only difference is the Rangers have scored a few more goals uh, than expected. What is it? Two and a half. Yeah. You know, and their opponents, every number is the same. Two and a half less. Two and a half less. And this is over, when you think about it too, it's really, we're talking about 15 periods of regulation hockey over five games. Like, it's it's just funny how it evens out. Worst team, Chicago. Best team, New Jersey. A couple of teams that have injuries in Vegas and Colorado. And St. Louis, that's a non-playoff team. You almost have like a mix of an NHL potpourri of, of what you're going to see week to week. And it's just, it's just alarming to me that the league, it, the, this is what parody looks like. This is what parody on paper looks like. And it's going to take guts, will, urgency, details, habits, all of the things that uh, we talk about that are very hard to see, I think, in the scope of how important they are, I think they're the most important. Character is the most important aspect to this because I think there's enough skill on every team that you can create scoring chances and have opportunity, but who wins the 50-50 battle and who gets back for the puck first because they hustled and then they have time to check their shoulder and then make a good first pass to exit. We're talking about details and I think it's very fascinating. The league is going to be close. It's going to be tight for the remainder. And it has been just wild, the swings and the highs and lows. And this is everybody, every team's complaining against uh, uh, or complaining about this rather. So it's out there. The NHL has just been wild this year. 
Yeah, I was going to, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and the Rangers contributed. I think there was their, that was their second win this year when they were down by at least two goals. Uh, we detailed all the ones that they've lost when they've been down by two goals and sometimes by three goals or up by two goals or up by three goals. And it's not unique to them. I mean, Gerard Gallant gets a little defensive and we mentioned that to him and he says, it's not just us, you know, and he's absolutely right. It is, there are, uh, every team has probably seen a multi-goal lead disappear this year. Some teams have seen three goal leads. Some teams have seen four goal leads disappear. Um, and that is not something even we're not, we don't have to go back 30 years. We just go back a decade or so, a little bit more when you were playing it, we just, you just never saw it ever. Maybe in a playoff game when things got really wild and desperate, but hardly ever in the regular season. And, and, you know, you dig into the numbers, you talk to people around the league. Um, you know, what's your feeling about that? This is, this is exactly where uh, everybody's wondering. Everybody is perplexed. And the question I keep getting consistently is, why is goaltending so bad this year? That's what people think. They think it's the goalies. They're giving up uh, runs of goals. And that's why uh, leads are not safe. But, okay, here's the thing. Let's look at what's happening in the NHL. Uh, the NHL has played 451 games so far, and the league average save percentage is 905. So you could point to that and say, all right, let's see, 2010-11 save percentage was 913, 914, 914, and 15, all the way through these years. And now you're looking ahead, and it's been... 20, uh, 10 plus years and you're at a 905. So why, why so low? And let me see here. The last time it was 905 save percentage, Arthur, was the 06, 07 mm-hmm. uh, season. And then lower than that was 901 coming out of the 04, 05 lockout for the 05, 06 season. But at this point in the NHL, we've tracked a little more than 27,000 chances so far. And this is what I can tell you about what's going on with the goalies. Okay, so the goals are up. We can agree to that. But the interesting aspect about this is the goalies haven't been that bad based on the difficulty that they've faced so far. The teams are taking more quality shots. That's a fact. And our expected save percentage for the goalie to goalie is way down. And what that means in layman's terms is the quality of the chances the goalies are facing has never been greater. That's what's going on, which means teams are loosening up or are teams just allowing more because the skill level is so high. And I think it's more about the latter. I think the skill level is so high. Uh, a few episodes, I had mentioned that the east to west low slot line chance was up 43% from wow. five years ago, right? So um, a couple of people suggested that I'm to, to blame for this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's where we're at right now. And it's why, it's why scoring is up. It's why safe percentage is down. It's why no lead is safe and it's not just your team. So for the Ranger fans that are listening, it's not just us. I am telling you it is everywhere. It is running rampant through the league right now. In the old days, and by the old days, I mean 06, 07, 07, 08, your, your prime time in the NHL, you know, were, were, were teams coached differently when you had a lead? And certainly maybe when you were behind too, that you were, you were still so structure oriented that you didn't want to 
almost like a football team where you have your you have your plays that you're on schedule with, and whether you're up by 21 or down by 21 in the NFL, you tend to stick to that schedule uh, for at least a little while till you start to get into deep into games and try to try to ad lib a little bit. There's just was there just very little deviation from what coaches the the structure that coaches were looking for and players were just not interested in breaking free from that. Yeah, there's there's so many pieces here. First one that's really changed for this year is, well, it's it happened last year, cross-checking and protecting the front of your net. So what we're seeing in our data is that we're getting much more net front scoring chances. And at the end of games in my era, a scoring chance was a team that is down two to one late in the game, dumps it into my right corner. My defenseman's trying to get back quickly for it. He gets run into the third row and then they collect it and then turn and fire it at the net from the corner. Like that was, that was a late one minute left surge. That's what it looked like at the end of a game 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Whereas now it is get it in with possession, cycle it, bring the play up top, allow everybody to get net front and then sift it through for screens and deflections and broken plays. And it's much more dynamic late yeah. in the games. It just is. When teams are down, they know how to still create and they have the players on four lines to do it. Back in our era, we had two lines. We had six guys that were able to score and the bottom six, they're not touching the ice in the last seven minutes if we're down by one. And now you can still run your lines, which keeps the top two lines a little bit more rested for that late push. You've got more depth to be able to score through four lines. I don't think the game is even close to what it was when I played. I think the goalies, I'm looking at some of these goals that are scored every night, and I'm starting to say the phrase that I've always really been reluctant to say, which is, he didn't have a chance. (laughs) I've always believed... I've always come from that perspective. There's always a fighting chance. There's always a way. You can always find a way to be more available in the crease to get a save. And now I'm just watching goals every morning. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't think he has a chance on that. <laughs> That's a well-executed, highly skilled play by two all-stars. You know, And I just find myself going there more and more. There's more freedom. I don't think the players today respect time of game, uh, moment of game, momentum. Uh, score of game. I don't think they even think about it, Arthur. I think they're just out there playing. Everyone's trying to get cookies and get paid, and I think they're just going for it. That sounds great. I mean, <laughs> should, <laughs> it's a, if you're not uh, if you're not super invested uh, in one team. I mean, even if you are, it's it it definitely it adds to the excitement of the game, and I think it's it's it feels like it's one of those things that's changing quicker than I think most observers are noticing that that. The, that you can be up by two or be up by three, and it doesn't matter against a t- good team like the Devils, against a bad team, and you're not out of it. You get that goal, and you see guys celebrating when they when they make it three one or three two, and you're like, ah, you know, that's a little bit excessive. But I, th- they know something I think that a lot of fans and a lot of observers don't, and that is, um, you keep playing that way without having to, you know, we talk about opening it up or gambling or a little bit, and you see that sometimes, but. It's not, it, I guess now it doesn't look that much different than just regular five-on-five five play when it's a close game in the first period. Yeah, like, you know, last night was a great example with the Devils getting up. And the Devils, this is a fact, a statistical fact, at five-on-five, five, they are the best rush team in the NHL. This year they've had 264 chances off the rush. 
uh, and they have the best quality of chances, and they've scored the most goals, 37. Last night, they didn't have any, but they had 14 rush chances. That's a lot per game. That's a lot. Now, the Rangers have the sixth best rush offense in the NHL. They had six last night. So they got outchanced off the rush last night, 14-6. The Rangers scored three times, if you remember. So do you want to go a seven-game series with a 14-6 to weighted advantage in your opponent's favor off the rush? I don't. You know what I mean? It's just, no, that's just you're playing with fire there and you're going to lose. So I think the Rangers dodged a bit of a bullet that way in the game. But at the same time, they understood when to strike after they got through the first, I don't know, I thought they were a little bit sticky in the first, what was it, 10, 15 minutes of the game. I was yeah. a lot of giveaways, a lot of, t- I wasn't happy with the, with the start again. But, you know, the Rangers, I'll say this, if there's one thing they need to key on right now and get ready for the playoffs with, it's right now they're 26 in rush chances against a five on five. They can't be there when the, when the playoffs begin. They got to tighten that up. The best offense to be had at five on five is off the rush, and you can't question that. That's the way the game's played. Best chances are off the rush, so they're they're gonna have to tighten that aspect up. And I think they got away with one a little bit last night. I mean, that's they got away with one in, on Friday in Denver too. And uh, you know, it, it's it's been like I said, it's this is a this is a funny episode because we're sitting here. This is one of the high points of the season so far, four in a row. We've got the Leafs coming in. Uh, it's going to be another huge test, and they seem to have, you know, also been able to play up to the level of their opponents these last three games, notwithstanding all of the minor leaguers that were in the lineup in Denver. Right. Um, but it just seems like it's just hard to put your finger on the thing that they're doing right that they were doing wrong before. And when you look at this team, when you talk about the rush chances, I wanted to ask one more question about that. Do you, you know, is that 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 seems like an everybody problem. It's not just a D problem. You know, we can identify Jacob Truba had a really rough go in the first few minutes of, of the game last night with a turnover. And then he makes a great outlet pass that starts the rush that leads to Kreider's goal, which was a huge goal to, mm-hmm. to get it to 2-1 before the end of the first period. Um, is it forwards? Is it guys going in too deep? Is it guys looking for, for shots that are maybe, you know, mid or at best mid danger shots where you miss the net and it rims around and suddenly you put yourself in a bad position where you're just eager to shoot too much or is it just you know kind of like how we're talking there's a million factors to why they wouldn't four in a row there's there's lots of factors to why you give up too many rush chances i, th- I think that the quick answer if i i would just uh say this i've got like i said three monitors set up in my office right here if i invited an nhl coach current or out of work right now to sit with me and watch what's important about rush and defending rush it's always about having five in the picture it's it's not it's an easy one for a viewer at home too because it's just our screen that we're looking at the coach of course as he's behind the bench doesn't have the picture in front of him does he he's got the full game right but we get to see the camera which is kind of neat because we can see a big picture of what a rush team that's very successful looks like the first rush team that i was really impressed with this year was Seattle, in Seattle. And just going over their video from the previous weeks and their first few weeks of the season. And what I noticed right away was there was almost a physical lean from the net front defenseman to join. And the best rush teams I've seen it this year are five in the D zone tight. 
And then when they turn the puck over, they are aware and they react together in a split second. And you can actually see like that roadrunner lean from the net front defenseman. <laughs> it's like, I'm gone, you know, <laughs> activate. And they and they do it. And the devils do it as well as better than anybody overall. But it's always five. And they are running five. And there are certain restrictions when running into the offensive zone. One would be, and this is this is my own thing, I'm pretty sure most teams do have this conversation, I would not want a clear-sighted shot from outside the slot off the rush mm-hmm. unless it is to lay it in off the pad lightly that will stay there for a backside drive. But some teams, and some teams are very guilty of this, taking weak, clear-sighted shots when you've got numbers. And so, yes, you still have to execute on the other side of doing all of the right things in your own zone to stay connected and stay connected through the neutral zone and then get in with possession. But I would say that the most important thing is that you need to be five in the pitcher to get out of your zone and everybody has to be urgent to go and be aware and go together. And then you're up ice together and that way you're connected if there is a transition coming back against you if a, a failed attempt goes awry. So that's important. That's where I think anybody would say, I want to see connectivity with the five guys on the ice. That's a successful rush game. Well, since we were talking about 06, 07, and 07, 08 uh, quite a bit when save percentages were low, but one guy in particular that you know very well had a very good save percentage during the prime of his career. And uh, on our site, we've been running down the athletic NHL 99, the top Hundred players, we all know who number one is going to be. So we named the other. We numbered it ninety nine. Uh, your buddy Henrik Lundqvist, fellow studio co-host, um, came in at number fifty for us all time. And I know that you talked to our Shana Goldman uh, for that story about what made Henrik so unique. What uh, you know when you think about the greatest players, and it's it is hard to do apples to oranges. We're talking about goalies and skaters and things like that, but uh, but he certainly. If he comes in at number 50, he's coming in well in the top 10 of, of goalies all time. What was it, you know, to your mind that made him stand out? And you and I have talked about this even when last year when his jersey was retired, just about what kind of what kind of single-mindedness, I guess, that Henrik had that helped get him from being good to being great and being number 50 on our list. You know that, Arthur, I didn't learn this until much later on in my career, I thought that we were all equal, all of us players. And some guys had a little bit of better luck and maybe some guys had more opportunity, but we were all relatively close. I I never in my early part of my career understood how the stars all had a different relationship with practice and their approach and preparedness. Henrik never saw anybody work harder on the ice in my lifetime as a goalie. Never saw it. Like he shocked the hell out of me with his work ethic. His will, he competed every day on every puck and he had the balls to always be down at the media end where (laughs) most starting goalies would typically tell the backup to go take that shitty end because I want to go and work on my stuff at the other side and not worry about anybody critiquing my game in practice today before tomorrow's game. Like, that's the way most starters thought. Henrik was outside the box that way all the way. Uh, So his will was extraordinary, and it showed in every single save in practice. Uh, His sacrifice and discipline to be 
ready to play and to go through what was required for him to be at a level that nobody else was near for as long and as consistent as he was. He was different. I didn't realize this until I met him. And then probably the best experience I had in hockey was the first year I was retired. I went to Andy O'Brien's camp in Colorado, in Vail, Colorado. I was the goalie coach there. The goalies were Luongo and Jaguar, but the players were Tavares, Stamkos, Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, McKinnon, Seth Jones, like the, the craziest cast of like 16 players. Mm-hmm. And I was and I was the goalie coach. And there was only a head coach and an assistant coach. I did that I did that camp for four years. But what I realized was the first day I was on the ice in a tracksuit, and these guys are flying by me. Tyler Sagan's there. Like I'm telling you. Oh, Landis Cog was another one. Uh, Duchesne. Like I'm telling you, it's all the studs, okay? And these guys are running up in the up and down the ice and competing in drills. And I'm just like, I played in the NHL, but this was a different <laughs> level. This was a different level. It wasn't just a different level because of the skill. It was a different level because of the intensity. And the way I came out of that camp, I wrote this down on a piece of paper for me to use with the kids that I was coaching here in Connecticut. And I wrote down the word FIRE, and I used the acronym FOCUSED INTENSE REPETITIONS EVERY DAY. That's what I came out of that camp with, and I brought that and put it up in the uh, bulletin board in our locker room where we do our pre-practice chat. And I just let everybody know, like, if you guys can understand this, you are going to get better at what you do every single day, and every second's going to count for you. And that's what I'm probably most proud of now that I was able to have that experience, but have the experience after being in the NHL, so I know there's even a higher level. But Henrik, Henrik is the Mount Rushmore of goalies on that level. Well, that says it all, my friend. Thank you, uh, as always, Steve, powering through with the flu. Uh, We hope you see you back on TV in a couple days with a big game at the Leafs. Yeah, I think I'm rallying myself right here. My voice held through. My voice held through. (laughs) There you go. All right, brother, we're good to go. Compete level is high. That's what we like to see. Yeah, you got to bring, well, hey, bring the fire. Focused, <laughs> intense repetition every day. We can call it every week since that's how we do it. All right, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, everybody out there, for listening to The Garden Faithful. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review if you're enjoying the show. That really helps us out. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Steve Valiquette, Arthur Staple, Chris Flannery running the boards. Thanks. We'll talk to you next week.